0: Go with me to the book of Numbers, please. Numbers, chapter eleven. Did you guys put the scriptures up there, or okay, that's fine. All right, Numbers, chapter eleven, and uh, let's see. We'll start. We'll start with verse verse one. Verse 1, it says, Now the people complained. You guys are there, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So these people have been complaining. They, they just left Egypt, and now they're, they're complaining. And uh, the Lord took it very personally. And one of the things, as it goes on, it says, uh, well, let's just continue reading. When the pe- verse 2, when the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down, so that the place was called Taberah. Because fire from the Lord had burned among them, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also, This is the NIV, I apologize. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like risen. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves and it tasted like something made with olive oil. So The people are complaining. They're tired of manna because all day long they're just eating manna every day, right? They're eating manna for breakfast, manna for lunch, manna for dinner, manna for dessert. So it's just constant manna, manna, manna. And so they're tired of manna and they want to go back to the way it used to be when they were slaves in Egypt. They're forgetting what God has done for them. And If we skip on down to verse 18, verse 18, Moses goes to the Lord and he says, hey, you know, the people are complaining, give me meat, what should I do? And the Lord says this in verse 18, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. You will not eat it just for one day or two days or five, ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. That just means it it sickens you. You're disgusted with it. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, Here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have flocks, or would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? And the Lord responded by saying, The Lord answered Moses, Is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. After everything Moses has seen, then, now remember, this is. Man of faith, Moses. Hebrews 11, you know, hall of faith, Moses. He is questioning God's ability. He's questioning God's power and God's strength. And the Lord said, you will see what I say will come true for you. So don't feel bad if you've ever questioned God because you're in good company, right? Moses not you know Moses was a man of faith I mean think about this this was after he seen all the miracles that God did for him he saw the burning bush right he saw all the plagues in Egypt that helped uh, the, uh, the Egyptians let them go he saw the, the water in the uh, Red Sea and they you know come up and they walked across on dry land um, I mean so many things a pillar of fire by night, cloud by day, the manna. I mean, after all that he's seen, after all the miracles that man cannot work up, after all the things that only God can do, he questioned how this was going to work out. What was he doing that caused him to question that? He was looking at his own ability. He was looking at his own strength and what they had available to them. And this caused him to question The Lord. One translation says, in the Amplified, is the Lord's hand, ability, power, limited? The easy to read says, don't limit my power. So when we think power, I want you to think ability. I want you to think his strength. I want you to think what the Lord has. His Power, sometimes when we hear that word power, I think we we automatically assume, you know, earth-creating, universe-creating, power of God. And that's true. That includes that, but don't limit it to just that. Think ability. Think resources, riches, the things that he can do for you. Is my power limited? What's the answer to that? No. Nope. You guys awake? What's the, po- what's the answer to that? No. no. His power is not limited. His ability is. Is not limited. Go to Luke 12 please. Luke 12. So what can limit his power? What can limit his ability? What can limit his strength? And what he can do in our lives. What can limit that? Well we just just saw part of the answer. What did the Lord say? Don't limit my power. He said that in response to what? Doubt what Moses was doing in looking to his own ability. In Luke 12, Luke 12, verse 13, this is the parable of the rich fool. Um, We'll start in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to uh, to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed or covetousness, the King James says. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. See, the rich man, what what was the rich man looking to, to sustain him, to take care of him? What was he looking to? his own ability, what he could do, right? He was looking to what he could do, what, how the, uh, you know, what he could put his hand to. He was looking to what he had, what he had saved up, what he put in reserves. He was looking to only his natural limited ability. See, our ability is limited. Our strength is limited, right? What we can do is limited. And that's what he had his eyes on. He stored it up. And he was looking to that. He was putting his faith in that. We will never get to a point in our lives where we never have to use our faith anymore. We'll never get to a point in our lives where we can just coast, put it on cruise control, and never have to depend on God, never have to use our faith, never have to believe, for, believe God for anything. Now, I'm not saying that we have to always be in a state of emergency and panic and, and desperation. I'm not saying that. But you can see from here that you'll never get to a point where you can just say, "Hey, man, oh, gosh, I can just relax, coast for the rest of my life. Right. What did Jesus say uh, in the Lord's prayer? Give us this day enough bread for the rest of our lives. No, he didn't say that. He said, give us this day our daily bread. We're never going to get to a place in our lives where we don't have to use our faith, where we never have to believe God for anything anymore. Um, I mean, things in our life are limited. We I, we have a friend that we were talking to recently for dinner, and he is an investor. He has a lot of properties. That's how he makes his living. And there was a tornado where his properties are, where he had like nine or ten properties. And the way he sets his properties up is that... Uh, the people that live in it, they have to do the insurance. It's kind of like a rent-to-own type thing. And so not all of them do that. I mean, he has, he has properties all over the place, so he, he can't keep track of what everyone's doing. Well, uh, a tornado came, completely wiped out the nine properties. That's nine properties he's no longer getting income on anymore. And so the only reason why I'm saying that is things in this life are temporary. Yes. Things in this life can be gone like that. You could lose a job, right? Yeah. You could lose money. I mean, something, a crisis can occur, an emergency occur. Not that we're believing and expecting those things, but we do live down here on this earth. So things are limited and they could be gone just like that. So we're never going to get to a place where we can just say, whew, I got all this accumulated, I can relax. No, with God, we always want to come up. With God, we always want to go to the next level. He wants greater for us. Yeah. And the thing in this church... For Passion Church to come up is not to have their eyes on what we can do, on what man can do, on the ability that you have, but to get our eyes on the Lord and what he can do, on what the Lord can do for us. You know, a lot of people have fought and have come against the word of faith message. Because people like us, right, we believe that God wants to meet your needs and that he'll prosper you, that God will heal you. Right. And people have come against that message, but it's not about just having a bunch of things and accumulating a bunch of things just so we can say, look at all that we have. No, it's about not being dependent on any other man, not having to look to other people, not having to put our faith and reliance on other men and our own ability. It's about looking to the Lord. I know your pastor's heart, they don't want to have to be uh, subservient and owe any other person. They want the ability, they want the riches to come from God. They want him to prosper this church. No man, right? Because with men, when you look to men and they do things for you, sometimes there can be strings attached. There could be things that they expect payment for now because they're helping you. But when it's God, and God uses people, we know that. But we want it done the right way. It has to be done the right way. It has to be looking to him. And he'll deal with the people that he's going to deal with. But it won't be us pulling on people. It won't be you pressuring people and demanding people what they should do. It'll be you looking to the Lord. Right? It's tormenting to have to always look to people. To always have to depend on people and and ask for people to do things. But when we get our eyes up on the Lord... When we depend on him. He can do things beyond our limited ability. He can do things beyond what we have. Amen? Turn to 1 Kings 17. You know, when you are looking to the Lord, there's... There are steps that you're going to take. Um, my wife and I, we and our children, uh, we moved to Florida about five and five and a half years ago now. And when we did that, we didn't really know why. The Lord had dealt with us, spoke to both of our hearts, separate occasions that we were supposed to relocate down there. Now, we didn't really know why. We only knew that maybe we're supposed to connect to this church. That's, um, that's all that we kind of, uh, what's I guess, gathered from that. So um, it was confirmed. He, he spoke to our hearts more than once about it. So we began to take steps. We began to prepare. You know, when, you're, when you've heard from God about something, now it's time to take those steps. Now it's time to prepare. Now it's time to do something, right, about it. If you're believing for growth in an area, if you're believing that the Lord is going to prosper you, who's believing that this Christmas is going to be a good Christmas? Yes. If you're believing that, there's things you're going to do, right? Don't, don't. Uh, there may be some things you need to do that maybe you weren't going to do. Let's just say you think it's going to be a, a not, you're not going to have enough to buy all the presents you want for your children. Well, if you get some faith and you believe God, you start preparing. You put the Christmas tree up that maybe you weren't going to put up because you're expecting, I'm going to have some gifts to be able to put under there, right? So faith takes some steps. Faith prepares. And so our, my wife and I, we started taking some steps of faith. We had a house. We started getting it ready to sell. And um, man, we got no offers. We Actually, we had no showings at all. And we fixed the house up and did all this stuff and We'd have uh I don't know like a little cookie tins and stuff out ready. We were ready, right? because faith gets ready. you're ready for people to come. I mean, we're moving, and no one came through at all or or showed up or called for an appointment, and uh, you're like, okay, what's going on, Lord? you know, but we still kept taking steps, we still kept preparing. we looked into uh schooling and different things like that and and then there came a point where we kind of didn't move any further, right? Didn't take any steps. And then the word of the Lord came to us again and no, start packing, start moving, start moving forward. And so I, I prayed about it. Lord, is this, is it the right time? Should we keep going forward? All I got in my spirit was go, go. So I said, okay. So I booked a plane ticket down to Florida to get us a place to stay. We had, no, we had no offers on our house or anything like that. We had nothing lined up, but all I knew in my spirit was go, and she started packing. So I went by myself. She was here because she had to work, and she's packing, and I'm looking for a place. We found the place that we could rent. They wanted a deposit. We gave them a deposit. Why are we doing this? Because we know we heard the Lord. We know that he's set to go. But again, we don't know really why we're going. We don't, we don't have anything lined up. We, you know, we're endeavoring to obey God and fulfill His call in our lives and ministry. We didn't have any promised position or anything like that. Now, I, I had a job that I was working here. and My wife had a job as well. Um, and I told my job, hey, I'm moving to Florida. And I said, would you guys consider, actually, my manager said, would you like to work from home? I said, sure, yeah, I would like to do that. She said, let's write up a request, and we'll send it up to the VP. And they got back to me, and they said, you can do that. So God worked that out supernaturally. I was going no matter what. I said, I'm going no matter what. But how many know it helped to have that? (laughs) It was a great help. Now, my wife was working too, but the Lord said she's not supposed to work. So we were going to a place where the, the cost of living was higher. And so, in the natural, you think, that's foolish for us to do that. But, if the Lord said to do it, we just got to go and do it. And so, we rented a place, and it was a lot higher than our mortgage payment. Um, and we put the deposit down. And it's a couple weeks before we're about to move. Because we already put the deposit, actually deposit and first month rent. So... And then the rent, uh, the mortgage payment is coming up. A few weeks before we're about to move, we had a, a couple at the church that we were attending. Um, something just prompted me to ask them, are you guys happy where you guys are living? And they said, no, not really. It's too small, and this is what we need. And they started spelling it out. I said, wow, that sounds like my house. I said, you guys should come take a look at it. So <laughs> So they came and took a look at our house, and they said, man, this, this is awesome, but they weren't read in a position to buy the house. I said, well, that's fine, you know. We were kind of, the market wasn't the greatest at the time, so, um, and, and some things had happened where the value kind of went down on our place a little bit anyway. So it actually was probably better that we didn't sell it. And they said, you know, they came back to us uh, maybe a week later, And they said, we can't buy it, but we can rent it, and we can move in uh, this weekend, which was the weekend we were moving out. And so I'm like, okay, so your landlord was fine with that? They're like, yeah, we told him, and he was fine with a less than 30-day notice. I was like, well, praise God. So we signed a lease with them two weeks before we left. Two weeks before we left, we had already booked our plane tickets. We already had a packing truck. We were going, not sure what was going to happen with that. We weren't going to be able to pay our rent and mortgage at the same time. But how many know faith gets ready? Faith takes those steps. It prepares. It goes when you don't know how, you don't know why, you don't know what, what you're going to, but faith gets ready. Amen? Amen? And the Lord worked it all out, and uh, praise God. Everything came together. And that's not the end of the story, but I just wanted you to see that. 1 Kings 17 says, Now Elijah, this, this is verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Careth ravine. East of Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravines to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Careth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Some now who brought him that? The ravens, right? Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him: go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there and I have directed a what a widow there to supply you with food so he went to Zarephath when he came to the town gate a widow was there gathering sticks he called her and asked her would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink and as she was going to get it he called and bring me please a piece of bread as surely as the lord your god lives she replied i don't have any bread only a handful of flour in a jar And a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry. And to the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. I want you to notice that God is not limited in who he can use. He will bring things to you from Channels from places that you least expected. Ravens is something you least expect, right? (laughs) You do not expect a raven to supply your needs. A widow woman is someone you least expect, right? So it's foolish to try to get our eyes on this. It has to work this way. And if I don't see it this way, I can't move forward. I can't do anything. If I can't see myself doing it in my strength and my ability, then I don't take any steps. That's foolish. Because God has other ways to do things that are beyond our means. He'll do things through people, through other avenues, that you were not expecting at all. Right? We need to get this in our spirit. There, let me just tell this story. Um, I like telling a story, but our son was believing for a vehicle. He, when he turned 16, um, and uh, he had been sewing towards a vehicle, giving, and he was believing God for a sports car. And you know, he wasn't. He never asked us. We were, we're endeavoring to teach them to look to God. We're limited, but God is not limited. You look to Him. You know, let me just stop right there. Why don't and I'm not saying we have done that perfectly in all areas, but why don't most parents, why don't most people do that? Because they don't really believe it themselves. Why don't most parents tell their children, no, you can believe God and He can do it for you? Because they really don't believe it themselves. Because if you did, because they don't want their son or daughter to be disappointed if something doesn't happen. Well, that just shows that you're not in faith yourself and you don't believe it yourself. Right? But this has to be real. God has to be real to you. See, to a lot of people, flesh, who they can see, who they can touch, is more real than spirit, which is God. But God is true, and his word is true. Whether we understand it or not, his word is true. He's, he's real. And if we're going to be a Christian and we're going to walk this walk of faith, if you're going to come to church every week, you might as well believe that he's true and that he said he could do what he could do anyway. I mean, else we're just wasting time, right? Why do that? Why put yourself through that torture and talk about how big God is and how much he can do and how his endless ability and his riches, he'll supply all my needs according to his riches and glory if you're never actually going to believe that he's going to do that for you. So he began to put his faith on it. He, he had saved up a, actually a couple thousand dollars or whatever, and we were going to sow towards... His car, we didn't tell him that, but we were going to do that. And so people would start giving him money. People were coming up to him, giving him a hundred at a time, fifty, and say, hey, I want to. There were actually some of them were his peers. Other youth said, Hey, I want to sell towards your car because I'm believing for my car. You know. They, they didn't necessarily know that he was believing for a car, but they knew he was 16, and 16-year-olds want a car, you know. And um, so that was happening, and then one day I walk out to the mailbox, and I get a check in the mail. I open it up, and there was a check in there for $500. And I didn't know what it was for or anything like that. I hadn't talked to this person recently. Um, they didn't know anything. They, they hardly know our son. I mean, they probably met him a time or two, I think, maybe. <laughs> so um, I called them, and I said, thank you for this generous c but what is this for he said i don't know i was praying and is somebody believing for a car and i was like uh, yeah our son is I was, we were so we praise the lord he's like well i guess that's for him i was like praise god and so we had some money and we gave him what we were going to give him and we started looking for a vehicle i, t- I told him thank you for your c we, we will pray over it and we'll let you know once we get a vehicle and we'll send you pictures. And so we went out looking and we, we thought we found a sports car that we really liked. Um, really low miles on it, um, in good condition, but I couldn't get a, a piece about it. We couldn't get a release. And he liked it and we, we all liked it, but something, we, we actually both heard there's better or something like that. Yeah, there's better. There's better. As we're looking at it, you know, I said, son, there's, there's better. And he was like, eh, man, you know, he liked it, he was ready. <laughs> He was ready months ago, you know. He's had his license for a while now. And so um, we waited, and um, I said, I think we need to put this on hold for a little bit. You know, I told him, because we were helping him look. You know, he's still young, you know. We weren't just going to say, here's money, go find a car. So, um, and we were teaching him how to be led, and he's learning himself. So he, uh, we waited, and about five months later, I get a text from that same individual. And they said, uh, did your son find a car yet? And I said, no, no, but I'll let you know, when, you know when he does, and we'll send you the pictures. I just thought he was curious to see. And he said, okay, great, because my wife and I, we want to send him another $5,000. I was like, uh, what? $5,000? And I text him back, is this a typo? You know? <laughs> and then so he spelled it out, you know, no. F-I-V-E-T-A-E, 5,000. So I show my wife and, you know, tears of joy are coming down her face. That instantly puts him in a higher class of vehicle, right? But the reason, so what happened was he, uh, we went out, we we found a car. Actually, I was looking online one day and a a nice red Mustang came up, really low miles, 40,000 miles clean. And, um, uh, the, the person, I think, might have been a snowbird or something. It was kept in a garage in Florida. There's a lot of people that keep their cars in garages and stay up here in the summer and go back down when it's like this. So, um, <laughs> But anyway, uh, so uh, it was, and I didn't know, it was exactly the type of vehicle he was believing for as far as the color and everything. And it happened to be at a dealership of a friend that I knew worked there. So... We, it was favor, we got a good deal on it and everything. But I bring that up to say, we weren't looking to that person. We, that person had no idea that our son, that we were believing for a vehicle. It'll come, God can do things you least expect, and through people you least expect. It's, but it's not for us to get our eyes on people. It's not for us to demand, put pressure and look to other people. It's us. Our job is to do the believing. That's all our job is, is to do the believing. Jeremiah 17.5 says this. Well, let me back up. Um, Who remembers the story of the widow woman with the pot of oil? Right? Right? And Elisha told her to go and fill up the pots. Or or, or, actually, what do you have? She had just a pot of oil. He said, Go gather pots from your neighbors. Not a few, but go gather them, right? And she went and, and gathered, and she began to pour the oil in the pots. And it said, When she got to the last pot, she asked her son, Bring another pot. There was no more pots. And so the oil stayed, right? The oil stayed. It it stopped. There was no more. And I was saying faith prepares. But the miracles in our lives are directly connected to the proportion of our preparation. Did you hear that? The miracles in our lives are directly connected to the proportion of our preparation. If you're never taking any steps towards that, and when I'm saying steps, I'm I'm talking about sometimes steps that will scare you, (laughs) that in your mind you're thinking, this is stupid and this doesn't make sense. But let me back up. You have to know that the Lord told you to do that. It can't just be, you know, faith is not just some, uh, people have misunderstood faith. Faith is not just doing something crazy just to say, I'm a faith person. Faith comes by hearing and when you hear from God, when you heard from God for yourself that you're supposed to do something, then you are to take those steps to do it. You can wait around all your life and not take those steps, but when you've heard from God about something, you start taking those steps, and if you don't prepare, there can be no miracle. You can't see the supernatural if you're never taking a step. But I believe it's time for this church. This is what I was hearing in my spirit this morning. That it's time for Passion Church to, tar- to take greater steps. And some of those steps are not looking at what you can do. And I'm saying Passion Church, you are the church. You, you, each and every one of you individually. It's time for you in this church to start getting your eyes off of what you can do and in getting your eyes on your good father, getting your eyes on him. The Bible says in Matthew seven eleven, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those that ask him? He's a good father. He wants to give you good things. Right. But what's the step there? You have to ask. You have to ask. That's a step, right? You know, I was talking about this one time and somebody came up and said they were with tears in her eyes. And they said they never asked God specifically for anything like like how we were saying that our son has asked for a vehicle and our, and our daughter has done things like that as well. They never asked God for something specifically. And she was saying, I have to be specific. The faith act in that scripture, how much more shall he give good things to those that ask? You have to ask, right? The Bible says in Philippians 4 that uh, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. Not known to man, known to God, right? You have to go to God. That takes faith. It requires faith. And once you make your request, you can cast your cares, you can praise him, and do all the other things it says in that chapter. It talks about let, let the peace of God rule your heart and mind. It talks about keeping your mind on uh, things that are, of, you know, joy and peace and all those things. And then it says, but my God, in verse 19, shall supply all your needs according to his riches. His riches are unlimited. His riches are limitless. Amen. In Jeremiah 17, 5, it says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusts in man and makes flesh his arm and whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a sought land and not inhabited. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreads out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat comes, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Did you see that? That the person that looks to man, they'll not see the miraculous. They actually cut themselves off from the miraculous. The person that's looking at what they can do, Is cutting themselves off from the miraculous. But the person that gets their eyes on the Lord and what he can do, they'll not run out. Right? The Bible says in Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You'll not lack. Is he a good shepherd? Is he a good father? If you follow him, will you run out? No, you won't. We have to follow him and we'll not run out. He'll never lead us to to a place where we're just barely, where we can't survive and your children are out in the street, we have to get rid of the fear of running out. Yes. Listen, we need to overcome that fear. We need to get rid of that fear that we may not make it, that we may not have enough. Good, right? You know, we've taken steps in our lives that sometimes we, when you look months down, you're not sure how it's going to work out, but all you know is that it always has and it always will. He's always come through before, and he'll continue to do that. The psalmist said, I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. We don't have to beg man. We don't have to look to man. We don't have to be out in the street panhandling, trying to get man to do something for us. We have a father whose resources are unlimited. He's not limited by anything that we can do as long as we put our faith in him. As long as we're looking to him. He's not limited. He's his resources are unlimited. Say, my father. father. Resources Resources. are unlimited. Unlimited. We need to get that in our spirit that He's unlimited. He's unlimited. He's limitless. I I've been I'm praying that more and more. Lord, I want to see your ability. I want to see your power. I want to see what you can do. In my life, because we hear about it in other people's lives and we hear other testimonies, but don't you want to see it for yourself? Don't, aren't you hungry to see him do things in your life that he's not doing for everybody else? Yes. But it's because they're going to put their faith, they're putting their faith in him and they're taking steps to prepare. And they're getting their eyes off what other people should do for them. And they're getting eye, their eyes on the Lord and not looking to man. Not looking to what men can do, because men is limited, men is mortal. There's a there's a freedom that comes when you look to man, or when you look to the Lord, and you get your eyes off man. There's a freedom that comes; it frees you up to say, "I'm not. I don't care whether they do something for me or not. I was not expecting them to. I'm not looking to them to do that." Right. You know, this is something that's been growing in us for years. I remember, and it started actually. Um, we went to, uh, I went to raymond Bible Training Center in uh, almost 20 years ago now, I guess. so, <laughs> And we had an instructor who's my pastor today, and he said this. When it comes to people, he lived by this model. When it comes to people, expect nothing and appreciate everything. That's another way of saying get your eyes off people and look to the Lord. And in that, you grow and you grow, and the Lord will show you when something comes up, you know, uh, and let me make this statement. Whoever you look to in a crisis reveals who your faith is in. Whenever you, whoever you look to in a crisis, whoever you look to in times of famine, whoever you look to when something occurs in your life that there seems to be loss, reveals who your faith is in. If you start looking at who I can call, who do I know, that shows that your faith is in man. And we need to turn that around and get our, our faith in the Lord. But there's many times where you'll th- think, okay, uh, I'm doing good and the Lord will point something. No, that's looking to man. That's not looking to me. That's looking to what people can do. And what people can do is limited, right? And who said people will do anything for you even if they have the ability, right? Who said they're going to do something for you anyway? The Bible says this in Psalms 118. It says, this is uh, starting verse 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Princes are people that have ability, have power, have wealth. Princes are people that you think can do something for you, right? The Bible says it's better to put trust in the Lord to put confidence in a prince. And who would that be in our own life? Somebody that maybe, maybe your, your boss? Who's ever seen that at work where, and maybe you've done it yourself, so you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but people try to butter up and flatter the boss, try to get to know them, be around them. What, are they, what does that mean? That their eyes are on them. They're looking to them. We don't have to play the games of the world. We don't have to do the things that the world does to try to get ahead. We don't have to see how we can market and scheme like the world. And that's man man looking to man. We have a father who is beyond that. He's not limited to men's situations and to what men can do. Is he? No. No, he's not limited to that. We don't have to play the foolish games of the world. We have an unlimited father who is beyond that. Like I said, he'll do things you least expect through people you least expect and through avenues and streams you least expect. And sometimes it's just to show you I'm God still (laughs) and I'll not be limited. And now this is not about foolish pride. This is not about saying I don't need nobody's help but God. No, this is about that you are refusing to make anybody your source, anybody your provider but God. That's what this is about. This is about refusing to be a slave to this world system. That you have to be subservient to what's going on in the economy. That you have to be subservient and a slave to everything and all the circumstances in the economy and which way it's blowing. This is saying I will refuse to live like that. I'm going to look to the Lord. I'm going to depend on him. Psalms, I'm going to give you a couple more scriptures and then we'll close. Psalms 146, Uh, mm, let's do this one, Psalms 123, 123, it says unto thee, in verse 1, unto thee I uh, lift up mine eyes, O thou that dwells in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord, our God, until that he have mercy on, upon us. Now this, it says, our eyes wait upon the Lord. This waiting is not a, just a passive sitting, waiting, you know, for God to show up. This is uh, a looking to him, expecting. No, he can do it. God will do it. I don't know how. I don't know how this is going to happen, but he can do it. This is, this is reminding yourself, we're looking to the Lord, and he'll come through. No matter who he has to use or how he has to do it, he'll come through. He'll provide for us. I don't need to know the hows. All I need to know is I have to believe him. I just believe him. And I do the things he told me to do. I prepare, I take the steps, and I leave the rest to him. This is putting our eyes on him. And it says that we're to do that the same way a, maid, a, a servant looks to her master. Right? We're the servants of the Lord. We're children of the Lord. Yes. We look to him. Our eyes are on him. And, the, you know, this, this frees you up even with other people. And it helps marriages and families. When, one, when spouses get their eyes off one another and what they should do for each other and they begin to put their eyes on the Lord yes uh, there's needs or or whatever what have you but people can't give you what they don't have and anything that someone has anyway they got from the Lord so we might as well just bypass them and go to the Lord and go to him and say Lord they're not not doing this for me but Lord I'm going to put my eyes on you I'm going to get in faith I'm going to look to you And then he can work in them, right, to give them whatever they don't have and then work in you so that you're not so demanding and so needy and touchy and all those type of things, right? (laughs) Look to the Lord. Look to the Lord, and it frees them up. You know, nobody likes to be around people that pull on them, right, and that are a drain to them. And I'm I'm only saying this because... Part of our, our, our testimony is that the Lord has restored our marriage. And some of these are some of the things that helped us, that we learned and we saw that we were doing. Looking to each other instead of looking to the Lord, instead of putting faith in him. And then you just realize, I don't need that. Someone, they, they, if they don't have it, you don't want people just to do something for you. You want them to want to do it. Right? You don't just want people to say, Oh, yes, here, here, this is for you, dear, just because you're demanding and pulling on them. You don't want them to feel obligated. You want them to be, they want to do it. They're excited to do it, right? That's a cheerful giver. God doesn't even want us to give unless we do it in a heart of joy and with a heart of faith. Otherwise, it's not acceptable to him, right? There's many times you see in the Bible where it's a free will offering. (laughs) It's freely. He loves a cheerful giver. So if you're giving sad and depressed, it's like you didn't even give. (laughs) So we don't want that. We want to give in faith. But it frees you up when you get your eyes off the Lord, or when you get your eyes off man, you get it on the Lord. You're not looking to people. You're not looking to what they can do for you. This frees you up. And it brings joy, and it brings peace. I'm looking to the Lord. I'm looking to the Lord. And the Bible says no one has looked to the Lord and has been put to shame. No one will ever look to him and be put to shame. No one has ever expected from him. No one has ever taken steps of faith and has been put to shame. When it's real faith and, it's, and you know you've heard from God, you cannot be put to shame. You cannot. I'll end with this verse. And um, if the worship team wants to, to come up, if you, they're still around. Psalms 27. Psalm 27. Verse 13 says, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see. Why would you faint? Because you're tired, right? You're weary. But he said he chose to believe, to see the goodness, not of man, not of what he can do, but of the Lord in the land of the living. That's here and now. God wants to experience this blessed life here and now. This is not just when we get to heaven. This is the land of the living. But it's only going to happen by looking to him and getting our eyes and getting our expectation on him and off of man. We hope this message has encouraged you today. For more information on our ministry or to donate, visit onewayministries.net.